that's why I think we feel so nervous about these robots seeming to, seeming to impede on some of our human areas of dominance, like conversation or making art. But as a Christian, I think there's a kind of peace there. Like we are more than any capability that we might have, any gift, any um, any function that we can perform. We're made in the image of God just because we're made in the image of God, and that's that. Welcome to the Know Why Podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. For many of us, it's not enough to know what people say about life's most important questions. We also want to know why. Each week, Know Why tackles tough questions on topics ranging from spirituality to current events. While we approach these issues from a Christian perspective, we discuss diverse opinions and ultimately dive into what the research says. Are you ready to know why? Let's get started. Welcome to the Know Why Podcast. Let's dive into part two of our interview with Kate Lucky from Christianity Today. Speaking of, you know, our connections and everything, a theme throughout your article is embodiment um, being, and, and you talk about embodiment being a key aspect of our human identity. And I love this, but I wanted to just have you flesh that out a little bit, <laughs> pun not intended, um, about, you know, what does embodiment mean? Um, and why is this such a key aspect of our humanity and, and how should it influence our thinking about AI? Yeah. So much of the conversation about what makes AI different from humans comes down to sort of gut instincts. And it was really interesting to hear the Christian theologians and tech workers that I spoke to talk about this. Many of them are part of a collective called AI and Faith, which is an interfaith group that's thinking through some of the deeper philosophical, theological questions around this technology. But many of them gestured at the fact that even if we could embed AI in a robot body, that and we can, and I'm sure that that technology will continue to advance, that feels really different from a flesh and blood body blood body that can give us hugs, go for a walk with us, share meals at our tables, use facial expressions to interact with us, do physical acts of service for us, which are part of relationships just as much as speaking, sitting quietly beside us in solidarity or silent prayer, holding us while we cry. Um, And they spoke about how that's part of being made in the image of God. That's part of understanding ourselves as bodies and souls that are um, important to the kind of Lord who came to us in a physical body, the incarnation um, of Jesus. And that even people who aren't Christians feel that. We feel that there's something important to our bodies, to our humanity. We feel that there's a difference when we are on a Zoom call and when we're sitting around a meeting table in person. And that's not to say that Video technology like Zoom isn't really helpful. I work from home entirely. I couldn't have my job if this sort of technology that allowed us to have virtual interactions with each other didn't exist. So I'm really thankful for it. But I also know it's super different to have a conversation with my colleagues at Christianity Today on a Zoom call every morning as it is when I get to travel to Chicago and meet up with folks in person. Mm -hmm. So We all have a sense of that, Um, and I think that's one of the places where, as an avenue for 
evangelism as an at or just at least an avenue into inviting people into bigger conversations about what it means to be human, how we might intuit that we are created beings made in the image of God, and that when we make things in our own image, that's different, um, is a really exciting place for a lot of these theologians who are finding that the tech world is asking these very questions about embodiment, for example, and that they can provide answers out of the Christian tradition. Yeah. I love that. And that's so great because, you know, that's what we want to do here at the Know Why podcast as well as welcome listeners of all all beliefs, but really dig into those deep questions, the big questions that we face in life and challenge people to really know why they hold the beliefs that they do. So if you're feeling a certain way about AI or you're, you know, having questions about the rapid advances in technology that you're seeing in your lifetime, know why you feel that way, know why you're thinking about it the way you are. And so again, Kate, I'm loving this conversation. I'm so glad that we get to have it. But, you know, you mentioned um, a few minutes ago that there can be positive uses and some people are especially optimistic about those uses of artificial intelligence and particularly chatbots. But um, kind of beyond just, you know, positive ways that it might be used, what are some ways that we can actually influence its development for good? Or do you have ideas or did you talk to people about those? I did. So on a very specific use case for Christians and churches, a lot of people I spoke with told me that they have used AI to help them in their Bible study, not as a replacement for being in a church community, not as a replacement for reading commentaries or having a relationship with other believers or with pastors that you can trust and and go to with your questions about a text. But just as a jumping off point, they found it to be another really helpful study tool to ask for an exegesis of a chapter of Romans or something like that. Um, Study augmentation is how one engineer put it to me. And I spoke to a pastor who knows other folks here in the Bay Area, which is where I live, who are having AI help them source their sermon illustrations or maybe do things like write newsletter copy for upcoming church picnics. And again, we've had some debate uh, within our pages at CT about the role that AI should play in writing a sermon. And I think where many of us come down is that an AI-generated sermon won't be as impactful as a sermon written by a person who's pastoring a congregation, who knows their needs, who knows how to apply a particular text to those needs and who's being spoken through by the Holy Spirit. But I also think that in terms of correcting typos, (laughs) doing some of the other day-to-day administrative work that our pastors, especially pastors at small churches who face burnout or other ministry leaders who just need a helping hand, um, that's great. And generative AI can also allow for faster Bible translation into unreached languages or scripture study plans or personalized prayer prompts. Um, You know, it can present people (laughs) with the gospel, even if folks happen across a a chatbot and they're asking it the kinds of questions that they might now be asking Google, does God exist? Who is Jesus? What does the Bible say about who Jesus died for? Um, Of course, as as one of the uh, technologists who I spoke with shared with me, you can't build a life of faith based on information, she said. You need transformation and formation from the people of God and the Holy Spirit, and you can't replace that. So again, 
AI for Christians is, is always a starting point. I don't think it's something that we need to swear off as uh, demonic or as always unhelpful to what we're trying to do, but it's always just one piece of the puzzle, um, which makes sense because it's right now a collection of data that we've produced as people. Um, it's filled with the writings and imaginings of the internet. And I think that that means that it's a great tool for harnessing some of that collective knowledge, but also will naturally reflect our own biases, our own prejudices. One of the engineers that I talked to said that we sort of expect that AI is going to be able to overcome things like racism or sexism or classism. And why would we expect that? Because Mm. AI is just fed with our own sort of sinful data and the same kinds of sinful proclivities we find in humans are going to show up in our AI tools and we should expect that. And we, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't use them, but it should mean that we're, we're cautious in our use. Mm. Um, And then in terms of some of the folks who are building these tools, who are Christians, um, one of the things I wanted to do in this piece is to talk to engineers or people who have more of a tech background than I do, which was pretty easy to do because I live here in Silicon Valley. We go to church with plenty of people who work for Google and Meta and those other, those other sorts of companies who are able to connect me with people in the AI division. And I think that there's an emphasis from those folks on a couple of key principles. One is transparency, making sure that as people of truth, we prioritize Um, letting people know where their information comes from. So no one should have a call with a customer service rep or with someone from a legal office or a doctor's office and find out later they were speaking to an AI and they didn't know the whole time. Mm. Um, Being really transparent about where our information comes from when we're reading an article or looking at a picture, making sure we give intellectual credit where credit is due. Um, And then also making sure that our models are as representative as possible. So even though that means we're not going to be able to train out all bias, making sure that we include data from other parts of the world, from people who aren't just living in these coastal secular places like Boston or San Francisco, where much of this tech is being developed, but people in the majority world um, in the same way that we would just count it as a value that all of God's people have a voice and that, it's important to hear from people with a vast variety of experiences when we're making decisions about things, for example, like medical diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the other things that came up again and again was slowness. Again, back to optimization. AI has the potential to speed everything up to make us a little more anxious and frenetic. And as Christians, we're also a people who believe in Sabbath, who believe in a proper place for work and prayer in life. And as much as that's threatened by AI, there are also opportunities to build tools that in some ways slow us down. So I talked to one professor at Calvin University who's trying to build a writing assistant that doesn't just autofill our sentences for us, but kind of points to weak spots in our argument, asks questions, asks for counterexamples. And he said, this tool might actually make you a slower writer. It might take you longer to get that piece of writing done, but it also might make it better and actually be part of forming you as a thinker 
rather than just doing the work for you. So that again, but gets back to some of these questions about AI's role in work and creativity, but bonus as a value as well, even as there is a lot of optimism among the Christians that I spoke with too, they're not necessarily calling for a pause to all of this technology. Um, some of them are more concerned than others about the potential for it to impact our relationships. I talked to one engineer who said, well, these are pretty bland conversations if you actually talk to a bot and they aren't really in danger of supplanting our human relationships. They're just so uninteresting. Then I talked to other folks who said, I don't know if that's true. So even if these Christians are falling in different places about um, how much of a threat these chatbots are to our human dignity and relationship, they all fall somewhere in a middle space of not being completely optimistic, gung-ho, this will change the world only in a positive direction, but neither are they being alarmist about the technology. So I think there's still a lot of space for discussion and and dialogue there. Mm, Yeah, that's good. And I love hearing different perspectives too, because, you know, we've had, um, I I know you mentioned debate within the pages of Christianity Today, and we actually had um, Brad East on the Know Why podcast who wrote a couple articles, including one about AI's role in the pulpit. And so I think it's good for people to hear different perspectives because like you said, this is so new and it there really is a lot of room for discussion. And, you know, one thing I just keep thinking of is healthy skepticism. Um, you know, let's not lose our agency and just let kind of the trends make our decisions for us. Uh, but like, you know, be open-minded but critical in how we are perceiving this new technology and and what we think about it. Um, You know, be, don't immediately shut down everything that's new and unfamiliar, but also be cautious going forward and just, you know, discuss and get different perspectives on it. So I think that's a good approach. Um, But before we wrap up, I did want to address something that maybe the elephant in the room for some people, you know, um, and maybe some people laugh this off and think it's going too far, but other people are like, I don't know, because, you know, for years we've had movies of like iRobot or something where these robots um, become, you know, they sentient, they start behaving as if they have consciousness, they take over. And so some people might be thinking, okay, well, with uh, chatbots being able to more easily mimic, uh, you know, human um, humanity, so to speak, and like make us feel like we're talking to a human. And then, like you said earlier, putting that kind of technology within, uh, you know, a, a body of sorts. Um, is this something that we need to be concerned about? Or are there, what are the experts saying that you've spoken with about this? Yeah, the experts that I spoke with definitely aren't dismissing this kind of concern out of hand. But again, a lot of them see it as an opportunity to engage with a secular culture that's suddenly sort of nervous about what it means to be human. Um, Most of the, all of the (laughs) pastors and theologians and scholars that I spoke with um, were not concerned that we were going to have a robot takeover. So I can provide some reassurance about that. And they sort of presumed that ChatGPT would not reach a point of insolment, um, with the caveat that, of course, God could grant whatever agency to whatever being he pleases. Um, but most folks returned to this idea of people being created in the image of God, and that that image bearing has so much to do with our ability to have relationships. 
and that it also didn't come down to what we could or couldn't do. You know, you're not made in the image of God because you have two hands or because you have two eyes, because we know that people are born who don't have those things that are still made in the image of God. You're not made in the image of God because you have a certain level of intellectual capacity or emotional capacity or health or fitness because people are made in the image of God who don't have those things. Um, It's just a status that can be granted only by God bestowed by the breath of life. It's really mysterious what makes us uh, human beings different. Um, And it's not something that's easily mechanized or mimicked by a computer or maybe even possible to, to mimic with a computer. Um, Again, there's, there's just something different about being human. And that's something that people who aren't Christians into it. And um, that's why I think we feel so nervous about these robots seem to seeming to impede on some of our human areas of dominance, like conversation or making art. But as a Christian, I think there's a kind of peace there. Like we are more than any capability that we might have, any gift, any, um, any function that we can perform. We're made in the image of God just because we're made in the image of God. And that's that. Um, one last thing I'll mention is that a pastor that I spoke with for the piece, he, he mentioned that the fact that people are scared that the things we create in our image would rise up and rebel against us. He said, that's a great apologetic for the truth of the Bible. Like, where would we get that idea? Mm. He said, if it wasn't baked into the cosmos that, um, things that we make have the potential to harm us. And, and idolatry too is a big through line in this conversation that we've been prone as human beings to make things that are images um, made of gold and wood in the past, maybe now made of strings of zeros and ones and, and worship them and think that they're more than they are. Mm. And again and again, God has reminded people that um, that's the wrong place to turn our attention and our worship. So I guess what I would provide is like a word of reassurance and that those questions about robot takeover to the Christians who are thinking deeply about AI are, are more opportunities than anything to witness to what's distinctive about the Christian worldview. Yeah. Wow. So beautifully said. Um, I think that that is just, you know, so great that that we are unique. Uh, Nothing that we create can take that away from us. And yes, it is. It is a good lesson. Um, So for anyone who's kind of wondering about that story in the Bible, go back to Genesis and just start reading Uh, because uh, from the very beginning of the Bible, it's, begins the story of how God created humans and then we decided to rebel against him. And thankfully, um, we believe he is gracious because he saved us even from our own rebellion and he offers to do that. And so it's been such a great conversation, Kate. Um, But before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share or resources for people who want to learn more about what we've discussed? Sure. I would say that as I got to the end of this article, I asked ChatGPT itself how Christians should use it <laughs> and other AI chatbots. And its examples were pretty good. Mm-hmm. It said that we should exercise discernment and remember our limitations and ground discussions in scripture and prayer and seek human interaction. Ironically, the bot told me that we should seek inter- interaction because Christians emphasize the importance of community and fellowship and seeking guidance from trusted spiritual leaders. And although that's kind of bland advice, it really is true. Um, I think that it's not so easy for Christians to say either we 
jump in with both feet to the AI pool and use it for everything um, with unbridled optimism, or we stay away. Um, the same way that we've always encountered new technologies, we we encounter them um, with the sort of grounded knowledge that God works things for good and God can work through all kinds of man-made innovations, but also, again, that we live in a fallen world and sinful people are behind the making and using of these tools. And I think that's the kind of balance that's really required to engage with AI thoughtfully. And if you're looking for more resources, I'll have to point you back to Christianity Today, which is where I work. We're doing lots of coverage on how AI will influence how we study theology and how we prep sermons, how we deal with Christian education, art making. So you can head to our website, search Christianity Today Artificial Intelligence, and it will bring up the stories under that tag. I'd also recommend that you check out AI and Faith, this interreligious collective. It's led by a Christian named David Brenner, who a former attorney and spoke to me for the piece, but they've got lots of great resources, blog posts, and podcasts that I think will provide a really exciting set of examples of how people of faith, especially Christians, are thinking about this issue. So if you're interested in, in a further deep dive, I'd head to their website. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kate. And we will have those links posted at knowwhypodcast.com as well. Thank you for listening to this conversation today. We'll see you on the next one.